Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to our podcast, Med Family. I'm your host, Eric Acker, with Karen. Hey, guys. Uh, this is uh, another week. Hopefully, we <laughs> will have something of, of interest to talk to you guys about. Um, but uh, just before we get started, I did uh, usually we cap off the episodes with a, uh, you know, follow us on Instagram and uh, I figured we can start it off with just by saying Instagram in case people don't ever get that far. Instagram MedFamilyMD is how you can talk to us and ask questions and uh, we are on all the major plat- uh, podcasting platforms so you're more than welcome to follow us there, rate us and whatnot. But um, so this week we have been doing, oh, what have we been doing here? Uh, <laughs> we started homeschool so that's been an adjustment. <laughs> it's been oh. going pretty good, though. Um, and then Eric started his new uh, rotation, so he's on admit team now, um, which not all residency programs do. Each one kind of has their own way that they yeah, operate. Yeah, we, we, and we, we kind of touched on it last week a little bit, uh, how, uh, like, so one of our friends, his he's in internal medicine in Colorado, and they have a... I think it's like a perioperative services rotation where you basically do medical reviews of patients before they have surgery and clear them for surgery and optimize them and whatnot. Um, we don't have that at all here. Uh, that's not something that I've ever seen. Maybe that's something in the continuity clinic you might be asked to do, but uh, nothing that we've been done, we've been doing here. But we, we do have something called the, uh, the admit team which is essentially a team where we, we meet at seven o'clock and we go till four o'clock and the, the attending will just assign us patients from the ED or transfer patients that came from outside hospitals to our hospital. And we see the patient, we do a full history and physical, we do a full uh, eval on the patient and uh, essentially we talk, to, we talk to the ED docs, we talk to the referring docs and then we make an entire plan. We start the patient off on like, okay, this is what we think is going on. You know, obviously if it came through the ED, the ED is planning to admit. So we are gonna go, okay, well, what's the, why are we admitting? Are we doing observation? Are we doing inpatient status? Uh, The difference basically I think is like two or three midnights or something like that, anticipated length of stay. Um, and then we then order everything that we think we might need to start the patient off and get them going. Because uh, like, okay, well, we're now we're, we're taking charge of this patient's care and treatment. And part of that is, you know, obviously treatment, but also part of that is workup to figure out underlying etiology of patient's uh, presentation. I mean, sometimes they're pretty straightforward uh, and you don't have to do a whole lot of workup, but you do need to start treatment. Um, and then of course, knowing that everybody that's coming after you, so once you hand this patient off to the floor team, that's gonna keep watching the patient for the duration of their stay. Like they're gonna use your history and physical as part of like their notes in the future. So you definitely want to, you should always wanna be thorough and (laughs) and very, uh, um, you you always wanna do a very good job and be thorough, but 
I think sometimes on the floors you get busy and so you can kind of default to the H&P for some of your information and in, in information gathering. So you want to be extra sure that your information you're putting in your history and physical is very accurate, very detailed, so that the people coming behind you have a good idea of what's going on or at least have an idea of what you were thinking when you saw the patient. And again, this is stuff you do, I think, as a general rule of thumb. <laughs> so um, we would get assigned a patient, uh, go see the patient, do the whole hi history and physical workup. Uh, we go chat with our attending and kind of give them what we uncovered, what we thought, and then uh, what we plan to order, what we plan to, you know, where we plan to send the patient, essentially, like, is it going to be on a normal floor? Is it going to be stepped down? Um, we don't do ICU, so you know the ICU has to be consulted for those ones, and we don't we don't get involved. Um, yeah, so we we basically do all that. We put in all the orders. We do all the consults. Um, let's see what else here. And uh, I think as of right now, the rule is I've heard this might be changing, but the, as of right now, the rule is that we watch the patient until roughly about four o'clock, and that's when the floor teams start taking their handoffs. And so then we will hand off the patient to the floor team at four o'clock. So if we get a patient at seven, that's our patient until four o'clock. Uh, so the nurses can reach out to us, even if they move out of the ED and onto the floor, that's still our patient, um, which I think is fine. I think it's perfectly reasonable for us to, you know, I, I can, as an intern, I, I think I max out at five patients. I've only gotten at most two so far. So I'm not feeling very stressed. Uh, and my patients so far have been very easy, um, pretty straightforward. Like, well, hey, besides, besides the first one that coded. Oh well, yeah. So I, I and did, didn't end up being your patient. Yeah, that was that was a lesson that my attending it was like happy to not really happy to teach, but she was like, hey, um, when you get when when I assign patients to you, I kind of want you just to walk past the patient's room and poke your head in and see get a good look at them because a lot of times even our seniors do this we'll get assigned a patient and we immediately go to chart review so we immediately go into the chart what did the ed write about this patient what did the nurses write what's what other visits have they had what's the problem list what's the medication list so we can query um we can query the pharmacies as well and what you know what they've dispensed to the patient and so we kind of have an idea of what the patient's been taking and then we look at the you know the charts and go okay when was the last time they were in what did they, what did they come in for what did, and the ED notes aren't always done you know it's which is reasonable like a lot of these people are doing other things and so they you have to look at the incomplete note sometimes which is a little touch and go because it's an incomplete note so they can change anything at any point um, but it's just kind of get you get the, the wheels turning a little bit of what they're thinking that's going on look at the labs look at the vi uh, vitals. You look at the imaging, you try to figure out, oh, is this patient doing well? And this is kind of the basic work you do on the floors. And so a lot of people on admin team do the same thing. So putting that off to the side, the, the attending I had on Monday was like, you should go look at the patients because sometimes the ED, patient, ED will try to just admit you dead patients. Or <laughs> it might be a little exaggeration on, on, on their part, but... Uh, in this particular case, I had, we had done this, I did my entire chart review on this patient, and um, it, was, it was already going to be kind of a tough patient just based off of the, the pathologies a patient had and why they would be being admitted. 
it was like probably not a very great situation. Um, so I go down, it's my first admit, and the, my senior, which is the second year, decides he's gonna tag along with me just to help me out. And we find the patient's room in the ED and they're already using a bag to <laughs> breathe, breathe for the patient while we, when we walk into the room. And like we're kind of looking at the nurse and I think is it another resident kind of checking over the patient. And then they kind of go, hey, someone get the code cart. And then they check the pulse and they don't think that the pulse is there and they start chest compressions. And I don't know, we kind of watch as that code develops. There's really kind of a lot of people showing up and like respiratory therapies there. They're starting to work on getting the, intub you know, uh, the patient intubated. Uh, they think they got the pulse back, so they're, they stop. They stop CPR, but they still need a bag. The patient's not really protecting their own airway. They're not. Uh, they're not conscious, and so I think the one of the ED attendings turns and looks at me and my senior, and he's like, "What are you doing here? What what what's your what's your role?" And I was like, "Well, I'm a I'm an intern with the admin team. We were coming in to look at the patient to admit admit them." And he's like, "Well, I don't think this patient's going to medicine." Is it, which is, uh, you know, uh, pretty fa pretty fair. Uh, this patient needs to go to ICU. Essentially, is the uh, I think the punchline there. But that was a an interesting first admit I had, um, and that the, that's where the attending was like. Sometimes they admit patients who are dead because she was like, she had apparently already gone and seen the patient before me and my senior had gone and seen the patient. So she must have gotten there when the patient was like just started having respiratory distress and started like needing someone to breathe for her. And that's when the attending was like, you guys need to call a code. And then she kind of <laughs> went on, went on about her day. Cause you know, another resident or doctor was in with the patient. So she was like, this isn't appropriate for the medicine admits. So anyway, that was the, the little point there that she was trying to make is that ED will kind of just admit dead people to you just for, <laughs> just because they don't need them anymore. And, uh, you know, I don't know, ED people are nice. Um, I don't, I don't want to bash on them or anything like that. So I don't want to say like they're terrible or anything like that, but like they have a very specific role that they are trying to fulfill in the medicine world. And that's not to, that's generally not to treat a lot of patients. I mean, they do treat patients per se, but like when it's complicated, and the patient needs to be in the hospital, whether that's ICU or that's on the floor, that's really not really much of their concern as much as it's like, they need more care than what we need to give them in the ED. And that's just the way it is. Like they're, they're there to keep the patient stable until they can hand them off to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to who's gonna take care of them for the long run. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's just kind of how it is. But I mean, other other learned other hard lessons this week as well. I mean, it, the admin team really I cannot complain about. So like on continuity clinic, I had three patients a day. Really can't complain. Half a day of clinic, half a day of um, uh, procedures, which is like sim lab stuff, and and yeah, nothing nothing to complain about during continuity clinic. Well, an admin team. So far, nothing to really complain about. I mean, it was a little stressful on Monday morning coming in and having to meet the attending in the ED. And then she had one of the other interns do a presentation on COPD and then immediately whipped out her mix app 
uh, and started running through questions and <laughs> it was like, oh, and she was paying attention to see which ones we got right, and which ones we got wrong. And we had to really just, it's not a bad thing. It's always good. It's all good. But like you had to justify your answer choices. And it's like, oh man, I'm not, I'm not very familiar with all the drugs for COPD. And like, I understand that there's different classes of uh, COPD, like one, two, uh, A, B, and C, and D, and they all have different criteria for people to land in those classes. And like, obviously, as you get from A down to D, you need more and more medical therapies. And then, like in my mind, like I don't think I memorize the criteria per se. So it was difficult, just in the sense I had to really recall what the resident presented because he presented the classes and so it was like I'm trying to remember what he presented while I'm trying to answer these questions it, it was uh, it was tough uh, <laughs> but it was a little stressful but the attending is really nice um, honestly I haven't had a bad experience yet knock on wood um, <laughs> and again we can get up to five five admits in a day I've gotten two I got two on Tuesday um, today's my day off which which is nice I get two days on of work and one day off and I work for another five days, I think. I get Tuesday off next week. Yeah. So uh, five or six days I work, and then I get another day off, and then we work for another <laughs> some some number of days, and get another day off. So I do this for four weeks, um, which would be nice. It, it's it's not terrible, but it, it go ahead. It's been nice from the standpoint of in your downtime between admits, Eric's been able to. Uh, pull up his U world and study for step three because uh, the program wants him to get that done before March. So I think we're aiming for October ish. That's the plan. Um, yes. And so with um, eight South, obviously he didn't have a whole lot of time. So no, <laughs> I was lucky to get like maybe five to 10 questions done yeah. at late at night. And so I think he was feeling a little discouraged and like, I don't, I'm not going to have a whole lot of study time for step three. And, um, continuity clinic was nice. He was getting several done at night after he got home, after the kids went to bed. Well, I even did some before I even left to go home. Oh yeah, I know. Oh, okay. Um, and then, um, this, it seems he's, been getting his, I think your goal is like 20 a day. It'd be nice to do 20 to 40. I mean, I would really, really be good to get up to 40 um, or more, you know, like doing more. I, but my, my process is a little bit slower. Read, do the, answer the question, read the explanation, move on. Um, but we're, we're trying to get close to 40 if we can. Um, start small right now and like, I think your general, general rule of thumb is like if you get easily distracted or if you're constantly interrupted like it's okay to start small do like block of 10 and get through that block of 10 and then if you feel like you have you have more attention span more time to work on it do a block of 20 and then kind of work up from there I think that's I think reasonable um, obviously like when you do your actual test it, you're going to have like blocks of like 40 or 50, like something like, 30, I don't know, I can't remember off the top of my head anymore. You have like blocks of 40 or something like that. Yeah, might be sure. more than that, honestly. I'm not sure. It's but... more than that. I'm almost sure, sure of it. Because <laughs> it was 327 blocks. Uh, anyway. <laughs> trying to do mental math at night. It's not going to It's work. too late. Um, um, but no, I, it, I think you've kind of learned how you learn. 
um, and we were talking about this earlier this evening, um, like when we were, when we, <laughs> when Eric was studying for step two, like he t took a lot of advice from Seth Elu, who we had on, I don't know, a year and a half ago. A little yeah. while ago. ED resident, Northeast Georgia. Good guy. Yeah. Um, but like he felt like he didn't test well. And so he was just doing test after test after test. And then. Well, he would just he would load up a bunch of blocks and just do hundreds of questions a day. A day, yeah. And then he'd kind of like grade himself and then review it the next day. And then the day after that, he'd do another like full quote unquote test worth of just so he got used to the amount of information you have to sift through and the amount of questions you have to... And, and so it, it built the endurance for the fatigue that you're going to feel on testing. Yeah. Whereas I think Eric's more... I, don't, it, I struggle feeling like I know things. I mean, I'm, not, I'm, free, I'm happy to admit that. Like, I feel like I do know certain things, but then I get pressed. I am asked a question or... And I don't really know the answer off the top of my head. And so a lot of times when I go do my blocks, I don't really feel like I know a lot. So I need to use it as a learning tool. And, and it's more of a learning tool than it is an endurance tool at this point. Like on test day, I have enough stress that I can generally get through the test. Like I'm usually not running out, running out of time on each block because the adrenaline is moving and keeping me moving forward. So it's more important for me to really understand the concepts that are being tested, how they're asking the question, how to see through the question, and how the, these questions are developed in a way that will trip you up and find out what's tripping you up and correct that. And then, of course, correct any deficiencies that you have. Mm -hmm. um, and there's plenty of deficiencies. This last week was... Um, I did better. I'm not trying to brag, but I did much better on my U World questions, uh, which is what I kind of want, was looking for to give me the motivation to go ahead and um, pay for the U World, uh, not the U World, the uh, pay for the token to take the test. Token to take the test, which I'll I'll start this next week. So I got to get I got to get something notarized, a paper, some paperwork notarized, and then I submit it. And I pay the thousand dollars, and I can schedule. I can get a a three-month window to schedule the test token, and then we'll book that at some point. <laughs> I know I got to do it sooner than later because slots will book up, and then I'll end up having to do it in like January or February, and I don't want to do that. So we're just going to keep working at it. Um, hopefully, take a lot, of, and we're going to add on CCS cases. I did a few of the practice ones, and they were good. For whatever reason, I know UWorld has some kind of CCS-like cases, but for whatever reason, they don't seem to work. So I'm not sure what that's about. And yeah. what, what's that? No, I'm just, oh, okay. I'm just looking um, at stuff. It's Sorry. just kind of going back to like the UWorld and review, because I think originally when Eric was studying, he was trying to do it more like how Seth was doing it, but then he spoke with um, Chris. I think it was, and um, when because he was doing U World in testing mode a lot, and Chris was like, "Oh, I never do it in testing mode because I want to have the explanation." Because a lot of times, all when you do it in testing mode, you sit there and you get the right you. They tell you it's the wrong answer, they give you the right answer, and you're like, "Oh, okay, I'll remember that," and then you skip over it, and 
when you get retest on that same material, you haven't actually gone back to review everything. So if you sit there and review it, once you get it wrong, it will solidify it a little bit better. Yeah. And you're, you're kind of an auditory processor. So a lot of times, like when he'll come home and talk about patients vaguely, obviously, but talk about <laughs> trying to avoid the HIPAA violations around here. <laughs> but like, I have no idea what he's talking about half the time. I mean, sometimes I have some sort of idea because I, I, I mean, we've been. You in pick this up world. a few things every now and then. <laughs> and, I mean, and, and you worked in pharmacy a little bit, so you understand some of my complaints. Like, oh man, we had one prescription for fifteen milligrams metazapine <laughs> and another one for seven point five, just so they can get to a twenty-two point five milligrams. Like, uh, it's very frustrating. <laughs> Yeah, but anyways, a lot of times he'll be working, he'll be talking about these things, and as he's talking about them, he's working through the problems that he has in his head, and he's like, oh, I should have ordered this, or oh, I, I need to check on this tomorrow, or oh, it, because he has to, like, you are, you're a verbal processor, so I think in some sense, having that review afterwards is a little bit more along those lines of processing through the problem that you have yeah right when it's fresh in your mind i mean it's verbal processing is a is a it's kind of a curse actually i mean i was gonna say there's some benefit to it but it's like mostly right now it's a curse because I'm, I'm kind of in this world right now and i wouldn't ever point to any of my fellow residents and say there's any sort of malignancy going on or there's competitiveness but uh it's not quite the same environment i was very much used to at trinity where everyone in my cohort that I yeah, came up through with in term one was very encouraging. Everyone wanted to see everyone succeed. Uh, most people helped, we helped each other out as much as we could. And um, we commiserated when we, did, when we struggled with certain things. And even if you struggled with certain things, general, people generally didn't think less of you for having a struggle. And you were usually relieved because people had the similar struggles as well. So it was a different environment. Uh, now I'm in a mix of people, some USMDs, USDOs, and foreign medical grads, Caribbean and otherwise, and it's it's hard. It's hard to like you don't. I think everyone is trying to give off this impression that they have they they have it buttoned up. They're good. They're good to go. And there's certain people who do. Like there's a again. I think I mentioned him a few times. Tark. He's the guy from Egypt with who I think he's done like three, four years of residency there. He was an attending for a year or so. Um, came here, has to restart his residency. So like he, he knows how to treat patients. He's already kind of has a bedside manner. He's already got a, a process that seems to work for him. His hardest thing is probably just figuring out the EHR. Um, so he, he's doing just fine. But there's other, you know, obviously other interns and a lot of them have a lot of confidence and they, they kind of come across as like they have it all figured out. And so you, it's hard for you to approach them and to auditorily process an issue you're having because it's like, well, they, they seem to have it figured out. They're going to think I'm a complete moron. Like, I, I don't, I don't, and nobody, and even when you do kind of mention it, like they don't really bail you out and you're like, oh yeah, that's a hard one. They usually just kind of like, uh-huh. Uh, so it's like, oh, okay. I, I don't know. Um, for the first half of this year, my, my entire goal is to be like, I just need to be in the middle of the pack. 
I need to be able to keep up with my peers so that by the time, maybe at the end of first year, I want to get towards the front of the pack. Like I want to be one of the better residents, obviously. Like you should always want to be a good, a good doctor. Um, but like right now, it's like figuring out all the processes, figuring out everything, building up some experiences in medicine and treating patients because the practice of medicine can be very different than the application uh than the the guidelines or um what the book says like what we do in you old i think we mentioned it even uh last week flumazenil um is a reversal agent for benzos and how that can cause seizures um so that's like everything you do in the board questions is flunazenil for a benzo overdose and it's like in real life you probably won't use it on a uh, on a patient who uses benzos a lot because like well you you could have a really adverse reaction and you just it's going to be a, it's devastating or very very frustrating to deal with so uh practice of medicine is slightly different um and then of course like you of course limited to what's on your hospital's formulary like what what does your pharmacy actually carry <laughs> so some of that stuff can cause issues like I think I had a patient we were trying to give them urea uh, powder for food uh, as like a salt a way to administer salt in a, a more controlled way than just giving them salt tablets and they were like we're out until Monday <laughs> so it's like oh that's different you know it's we have to figure out something else the you know we had to figure something else out for the patient uh, so yeah it's uh, there's a lot, lot going on there, but uh, sorry, getting back to like auditory processing, it can be a bit of a curse at this point because I think everyone's got a little bit of imposter syndrome, <laughs> and it's tricky to know when you can like let on to people that you're like you're struggling with certain things, like you're not as smart as maybe you're not as smart as you, you'd want to be, like where you would where, where you might expect yourself to be, and so it's. It's tricky. You don't want other people to think that you're dumb, but at the same time, it's like I don't want to lie. Like I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm an intern. Like I'm a first year resident. Like I'm not going to be a brilliant person. I, I should, I should know a good amount of stuff. And I, I do feel like when I talk to a patient, I generally can explain what is going on and why, and in ways that they can understand. Um, but it doesn't mean I fully understand everything that's going on. <laughs> so. Because there's other things that you, you know, like, um, I, I think, for example, we had a patient um, in my very long stint, in, but uh, alcohol dependence, and we were working on, like, how to treat this patient, how, how we're going to manage any detox, withdrawal, uh, delirium, tremens, um, all that fun stuff, hallucinations. And I forgot about naltrexone. Like, I, I completely forgot that that could be used for alcohol dependence. Thankfully, my attending remembered, and, you know, there's other drugs you can use, of course, and you can use other things um, generally. Uh, but so we started the patient on naltrexone, and, uh, you know, hopefully that works out well. Obviously, I'm on admit team, so I don't get to see the entire treatment course. But this is again one of those things that you just kind of forget about and i was like oh wait yeah that's right that is a drug we can use for this um anywho um <laughs> uh 
So we started on word pro uh, processing and uh, audibly processing. Kind of, I guess, I don't know, how you study and how you learn things. And it varies per person. And it's, it's interesting when it comes to residency because I, it is such a different environment. If, because like when you start med school, you kind of get your co cohort, at least for us, and you stuck with that core cohort for a little over four years. And then you all go your separate ways. So now when you're starting residency, you, as much as you are part of a team, a, a resident team, it's you don't. It's not the same. Support it's a, it's always had. a mix. Like, yeah. like whenever I, you know, I was in pathology one, it was my same peer group. Pathology two, and then when I started third year, like yeah, then maybe it was a mix of people a little bit further along in their third year, maybe a fourth year med student here and there. But generally speaking, like you were going to be paired up with another third year resident who was uh, about at the same spot you were. So it was likelihood was going to be someone from my peer group. And that was very nice because you had all these people you built these relationships up for three, four years that were hanging out with you. Um, and then you go into residency and yeah, we have a class of 20 interns, but like, I, I don't know, like the team, you know, every time you chip to a different team, it's like you get maybe another intern that's with you or you get a psych intern or you get an e EM re intern or you get, you know, a couple of second years, you get a third year thrown in there. Like you can get, oh, transitional students are in the mix too. So you get like a lot of, oh, I think we also have podiatry students, uh, podiatry residents that mm -hmm. are. And you've got the med students and the uh, pharmacy. The pharmacy students as well. <laughs> and so you, you have different team, different makeups and like you do that for four weeks and you move off to something else. And so you, you still have your intern class that you can kind of talk to, but like everyone's doing their own thing. Like, yeah, and well, so it's, I don't know, the relationships aren't there and you really have to kind of, you have to work to kind of harvest those. Yeah. yeah. And there's a guy like he's on my, like, but there's probably one steady relationship is continuity clinic. Like, <laughs> so every five weeks, you know, I do four weeks of one service and a fifth week will be continuity clinic. So every five weeks I will have, um, Derek, Zach, and Michael. Yeah. And there's a third person, but he's on paternity leave right now. Oh. So, um, that, that's my team for the next three. Well, Zach and, uh, Derek will go away, um, after this year, but, um, their third years. So. Their third years. Yeah. <laughs> they, they will have aged out of the program. Um, but like, uh, Michael will be with me for the next three years in my continuity clinic. So this, uh, that's something, you know, that's something, and, uh, you know, there's Hamza who's in the PM shift. So if I stay late enough in continuity clinic, I run into him. So there's, there's other people I can hang out with and you know, those are some constants, but <laughs> a class of 20 residents and you only see like two of them regularly, then sure. Anywho, um, it's, it's definitely a different environment. You have to kind of figure out, find your own little spot. And 
find your own stride. And thankfully, I, we have you know, I have a family, and that's the, I call the other component to everything is like figure out how to get efficient with my time, how to get stuff done in a timely manner so that I can get home at a reasonable time. And that does mean sometimes not chit chat too much. I does a lot. There's lots of kind of conversations about people like playing video games and whatnot, and like <laughs> that's a perfect time for me to phase out of that conversation and immediately start doing some work because it's like I have nothing to contribute to this conversation. Like it's been years since I played like Call of Duty or anything like that. It's been at least five years, six years maybe. So yeah. like I I don't really have a whole lot to add to this conversation. And like right now our Nintendo Switch is the 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 most uh, badass video game we have and it's like yeah we play smash brothers occasionally mario kart and oh what's the other one uh, mario, mario party. party it's like yeah that's I, I something tells me they, that's not going to really land and connect with these guys <laughs> you know so it's okay you know it is what it is uh, i don't have time to do ps5 or or Xbox, whatever version is out right now. Like it's all a little too expensive, and um, I don't think Karen would appreciate me uh, spending five hours, even a week, on <laughs> on that. Um, so anyway, uh, that's where we at here. So sorry, we talked about process for admin team. The only so the last little bit is after you do all that you have to place all the orders the admin order you have to look at the medications and carry on make sure which medications you are planning to have the patient continue while they're in the hospital and then which medications you are not going to have them continue uh, like for example like if they're on some vitamin and supplements it's like we don't really need you to be on vitamin and supplements at this moment like we're just electrolytes as we need to um, and you can I mean that doesn't mean you can't but just like Especially for some patients who um, are uninsured, it's, it might be nice to them like to not be like, oh, you're taking a multivitamin at home? How about a $500 multivitamin in the hospital? Like, I, I don't know if it's really cost that much, but like, just probably not necessary, <laughs> especially if they're only going to be there for like a day or two. It's like, well, let's not do that. Um, so that's always kind of tricky, especially when patients are a little unclear on how they take the medications versus how their prescription is supposed to be. And uh, then you have to try to figure out like, how am I going to order this? Um, anyway, so you figure it out. And then, then of course you learn hard lessons. Like um, one of my favorite medical shows next to Scrubs, Scrubs I think is by, f it's really close between Scrubs and House. Yeah. I really like Scrubs and House, but House always has the line, everybody lies. Well, this week I learned that that is very, very accurate. Um, <laughs> and it's hard because, like, you want to treat patients. And so you, like, your entire job as a, a physician is taking information, use that information to develop a treatment plan, a differential diagnosis, etc., and then go from there. And so, like, you're... Uh, decision-making processes are really honed in is for mostly through medical school is you know what does the patient tell you like listen to the patient and what do they what do they tell you and act on what they tell you so like that's all pretty straightforward stuff but patients don't 
always tell the truth, especially when it comes to substance use. Like, I get it. Like, there's a stigma. Um, well, yeah, I don't know if stigma is the right word, but they understand that, like, maybe they shouldn't be using certain substances, and so they don't want to tell you, or they don't want to tell you how much they use, and they think they try to come up with a number that seems reasonable, or they'll tell you flat out that they just don't. Like, I don't know. I don't use any... I don't I haven't drank alcohol in weeks. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, sure. And so you, you kind of go down a different path to try to figure out why why they are having this issue. Like, why aren't they doing that? You know, why... It, this They seem to have this issue in the past because of alcohol or some other substance. And now they're having the same issue this time, but they're saying that they haven't used that substance again. So, like, what else could it be? Is there something else going on that we kind of have missed? And so let's kind of go down that pathway. Thankfully, a lot of the treatments, like, these that you kind of go by is just, like, pretty straightforward. Like, it's the same regardless of which way, pathway you go. Just if you go down one pathway and it's actually, correct, like, the right pathway to go on, then additional treatments might be necessary, but you still need the confirmation that the workout to be done prior to those treatments being started. So uh, it's pretty vague, I'm sorry, but <laughs> we're trying to avoid HIPAA violations as we can. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, but having the patient lie to you and then having your attending, because when you present, I presented to my attending and she was like, no, it's, it's, it's because of the alcohol. Like, <laughs> it's, it's like, but she says she hasn't drank alcohol in like three weeks or more. And she's like, it's because of the alcohol. It's like, okay. <laughs> and, but I mean, my, my attending was fair enough to be like, if you want to pursue this other idea, that's fine. And so we, we put in the right, the orders for that. We did the lab request for it. We did everything we wanted to, to pursue the other idea. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's just like, it, it it probably was because of the alcohol. Uh, <laughs> and the other times, like sometimes you choose a treatment option for a patient and like you check with them multiple times, like no other substances, like only the ones we've talked about, right? And then they're like, yeah, nothing else. Absolutely nothing else. And you go to the list, like, are you sure? No cocaine, no methamphetamine, no fentanyl, no, <laughs> no opiates. You and do the, realize we're running a lab. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> Can you please just tell me But, like, truth? you want to start this treatment, but it's like, it's going to... It could be bad for you if you have done... Any event, any uh, so certain, some, Someone on these lists, like, if some of the, something on this list has pops up as something you do take, and you've taken recently, this medication could not be terrible, but it, it would not be desirable. And we wouldn't want to do this right away. We want to wait a few days. And like, no, no. Thankfully, like, the, you know, the labs come back and it's like, it's, you know, something on that list was positive, but it wasn't the one that was the most crucial. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, you lied to me, but it, whatever. Um, it's not really affecting your treatment at this moment. So it's just interesting. Patients do lie. So <laughs> it is, that, that is what it is. Um, which is it's a, it's a, such a shame because like, I know I have opinions and I am relatively opinionated. Um, 
I have strong opinions about a lot of things. I think yeah, you would you can attest to that, right? Yes, <laughs> better over our marriage of learning when when and how to express those opinions. Yeah, well, yeah. My, I guess my point is, it's like I do have a lot of opinions. So I I understand the concern for someone. You know, you come in to the ED and you maybe did some things you're not exactly proud of, and you don't really want to have to talk to another human being about it, and so you just lie. You just tell the person, no, I don't do that. And, but it's like, my job as a physician is not to judge you. It's not there, you know. And sure, maybe like if I met you on the street and I heard about your story, like I would be like, well, we probably aren't going to hang out. Like, we're probably not going to be best friends, but that's okay. But as a physician, it's like, I don't really care, like, what you did or, you know, whatever. I just need to know what's going on so I know what to watch out for and how I can treat you because like if you don't tell me <laughs> certain things you've been taking at home like I can't I can't find the right diagnosis or uh, stuff like that like if I don't have the full information it's hard for me to really come to the right conclusion and get you the right treatment all the time 100% of the time. Uh, so I, I don't really, I, you shouldn't be concerned about me judging you because my entire purpose in the hospital is just to find out what's going on and treat you. Like, that's it. I'm not calling the cops. I'm not doing anything like that. That's, that's not my job. I mean, unless, like, there's a gunshot wound or, like, I think eh, child endangerment. Uh, there's a few, like, there's a, definitely a few things where it's like you do, you do actually yeah. have to call the cops. But, like, you tell me you use some sort of illegal substance. Yeah, I'm not calling the cops. It's it's not my job. Anywho, <laughs> that's a it's, it's a fun little lesson to learn, uh, admit team. But I mean, and also this is a very different environment on, a, you know, versus res, uh, sorry, medical school because like medical school you are learning, and you're trying to learn just somewhat practice of medicine stuff. You're trying to get as much as you can from your rotations, but. In this particular case, you are learning a lot, um, like a lot of board questions. Like a lot of the attendings really want to, want you to know how, board questions, how you're going to handle the board, because <laughs> you're going to get tested. You're going to you have to pass the boards at the end of residency, and they want to make sure all the residents can pass the board. Just like you know, you want to make sure you pass step one and step two. Uh, so they're really like we did the uh, the mix app questions on Monday uh, you get like as you're treating patients they'd be like oh what's this 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 and if the patient had this what would you do and like that's a board question so just be ready for those sort of things like okay cool 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 uh, and then you find out certain you, you learn some other things and like um, I think we were doing the COPD question and the patient was presenting with uh, in the question they were presenting with depression new onset symptoms of depression and they were taking like the the gold stage C all drugs like they basically glucocorticoid they're taking long acting beta agonist so lamba lama lama uh and montelukast and they were like why what would what would your next step in treatment be and you know we were trying to figure it out and it's like well we don't know <laughs> certain like. Like, it doesn't make sense to take away the leukocorticoids and then replace it. Because one of the options was, like, take away the leukocorticoids and replace it with 
a little corticoid and something else mix and it's like that doesn't make any sense that, like if we think it's the glucocorticoids, we just take away the glucocorticoids, but that wasn't an option. And then the other one was starting an SSRI, because SSRI, depression, started SSRI. And the other one was like, stop Montelukast. And it's like, I, I don't know anything about Montelukast that makes me think that depression is a, a side effect. And everybody else agreed, so we selected the SSRI, and it was the Montelukast. <laughs> and then the attending was like, now you guys won't forget. Now you guys won't forget if a patient starts having depression symptoms, start considering that some of the medications you gave them is actually causing depression. Don't just pile on more meds. I was like, oh, that's a good point. Anyway, I am a little off topic. That's all right. We're probably good on time. Yeah, we are. So um, we will get our podcast out by Wednesday next week because Eric has Tuesday off. Yay. Um, so we will be on our regular day and we will have a little bit more to talk about on Advent Team um, and experiences and then also Eric's studying update for step three. Um, I, have a, I have a few things. I need to do my step three scheduling. I have to do my um, city, which is like a IRB um, research so I need to do my classes and courses for that. And then I also need to renew, renew my residency <laughs> license. It, it's only good until your birthday. <laughs> and so birthday's coming up in October. I might as well just start the process for renewal and pay the money. And hopefully my program will reimburse me again. But yeah, it's uh, even though I started in June, it's almost time to renew. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, we will talk to you guys next week. I hope you have a great week. Bye.